morning. Um, we are continuing our series on the Holy Spirit. This morning we're getting again into the more detailed parts of this study. Today we're looking at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's the wrong one. Uh, let's start with uh, reading this verse and then we'll uh, pray and ask the Lord for his for his help this morning. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For also by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning very much needing your help. I pray that you would... Uh, assist and enable, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, that he would uh, enable us to, uh, enable me to rightly divide the word of God and to present it in a way where zeal and clarity are, are both evident and helpful for your people. I pray for your church, Lord, that you would grow the church uh, in their understanding of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are God, and we ought to know you. We ought not neglect uh, you um, out of fear of uh, an overemphasis or a de-emphasis of Christ or, or the Father. But Lord, help us to understand you uh, so that we might uh, rightly worship you as the triune God. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we're looking at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and uh, I think it might be helpful for us to look, I'm actually kind of jumping forward, for us to look, uh, I have a, an excerpt from a certain denomination on their understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Assemblies of God. Uh, in their doctrinal statement regarding the baptism of the Holy Spirit, says, All believers are entitled to and should ardently expect and earnestly seek the promise of the Father, the baptism in the Holy Spirit and fire, according to the command of our Lord Jesus Christ. It goes on to say, This was the normal experience of all in the early Christian church. With it comes the endowment of power for life and service, the bestowment of the gifts and their uses in the work of the ministry. And it says this experience is distinct from and subsequent to the experience of the new birth. Uh, so the Pentecostal charismatic <clears throat> movement um, Ascribe to this, uh, whether it's Pentecostalism, charis uh, charismatic belief, or Pentecostal charismatic, or, or uh, New Apostolic Reformation, or whatever version, Neo-Pentecostalism, um, Neo whatever name or title you want to give to it. This is the general uh, definition of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Basically, it's something that uh, you're not given uh, at conversion, when you're born again, when you become a Christian, 
You don't get the baptism of the, of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's something that's, uh, that comes later, and it's something that you have to seek for and strive for and work for. And uh, once you get that, then there's this another level, essentially, of the Christian life. Um, and give that whatever title you want to give to it, breakthrough, uh, whatever else. Uh, that new that new level of the Christian life is open up to the Christian, and they can experience victory over sin, and they can actually be used of God in the church and service, and 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 everything else that we would come to know as just the the Christian life. Uh, so this morning we're we're not going to spend our time attacking. Uh, the Assemblies of God or any other denomination that ascribes to this. What I hope to do is to, now that we have a foil or uh, a contrast to uh, think against, now we want to enter into the Scriptures and understand rightly what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then we'll come back to that definition towards the end of our time together this morning, and we'll see how just about every line is undone by the very scriptures themselves. So for a uh, brief definition of the Spirit baptism, baptism of the Holy Spirit or baptism with the Holy Spirit or baptism in the Holy Spirit, whatever you want to, however you want to say it, it's really talking about the same thing, and we'll prove that through scripture this morning. Spirit baptism is the divine action that brings all Christians at the moment of conversion, into union with Jesus Christ and with every other believer forever. So it's a divine action. It's not something that we cause or um, create. And it is something for all Christians. And it is at the moment of conversion. And... uh, what it accomplishes is it brings us into union with Jesus Christ. That's a, that's a key uh, idea. Union with Jesus Christ and with every other believer. So, uh, what we want to see is, uh, this morning, we want to see first that this was something that was promised uh, in eternity, well, promised, uh, excuse me, through the Old Testament. This was promised throughout the Old Testament. Uh, We're going to look first at the promise of spirit baptism. The promise of spirit baptism. And these are going to be some familiar passages we've talked about uh, last week in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to go through this uh, hopefully pretty quickly, especially the the first part of this point. First of all, the promise made. Let's let's just uh, get, get through this first section. It should be review. Uh, but uh, in case you weren't here last week, this, this will be helpful for you, at least for a starting ground. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was promised in the Old Testament to God's people, Israel. Though the word baptize or baptism is not used in the Old Testament, what we're going to see as we go on in the promise, where the promise is actually fulfilled what we're going to see is that the New Testament connects the word baptism to the doctrine and the promises laid out in the Old Testament. So let's, let's get our bearings. Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, verse 27. Ezekiel 36, 27. I will put my spirit within you, 
and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you'll be careful to do my judgments. So again, uh, the Holy Spirit is promised, and uh, God promises as part of the new covenant. This is the new covenant promise in Ezekiel 36. That's the context. He says, part of the new covenant is I promise that I will put my spirit within you. And this uh, has to do with indwelling. We saw that last week. The, the, him being within us, that's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit promise. No longer will, would he be with us, but he would be in us. Uh, we see this promised uh, again, but with different wording. And this transition is important because it's in Ezekiel. and he's, So he's talking about the same thing, but using different wording. Ezekiel 39, 29 says, I will not hide my face from them any longer, for I will have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, declares Lord Yahweh. And so we see part of this new covenant promise to Israel. This is why we, hope, we have a hope and a confidence that Israel, Jews, will return in repentance to God in the course of time. Uh, God promises here that he will pour out his spirit on the house of Israel. Now in Ezekiel 36, it's, it's worded as, I will put my spirit within you. And here in 39, it's, I will pour out my spirit on the house of Israel. So the language of being poured out upon the people uh, gives us a, a picture, as it were, of water. Being poured out, and this is important as we uh, continue on uh, in some of the New Testament references. That's just kind of a side note. But as we go to uh, further on into the prophecies and the prophetic writings, in Joel 2, a really important uh, passage uh, in prophecy of the times to come and the coming uh, uh, indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it says, and it will be afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. Now, a couple things here that's interesting. Well, we see that, again, the wording, pour out my spirit. But notice who are the recipients? All mankind. So it's not just the house of Israel, it's all mankind. So it's, it's bringing in Gentiles into this promise as well. It's, it's kind of a precursor or a, or a, a preview of the global reach of, of the new covenant, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. So here, again, you have the language of pouring out. It's the same language uh, that's used in Ezekiel 39, which is talking about the same thing. In Ezekiel 36, it's all talking about the same thing, just different wording. And uh, we, we see that all over the Bible, it's talk, where God talks about the same thing but uses different words. Think about the doctrine of regeneration. Regeneration is described as uh, circumcision, it's described as a new birth, it's, just, it's described as uh, sight, it's described as a new heart. All different word pictures, this, this is just the same thing. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the, the initial indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is just described in different ways. Whether it's uh, putting in or pouring out on, whatever it might be, it's talking about the same event. 
And what we see is uh, one more promise comes from the lips of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, in John 7, verse 37 to 39, we see Jesus promising the Holy Spirit once again, using other wording once again. He says, now on the last day, the great day of the, uh, of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. That's an important that's an important uh, wording. Come to me and drink. Remember the, the, the theme of water. He who, come, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So you drink and then that, that drink turns into uh, a, a river of living water. And then in verse 39, but this he spoke of the Spirit. The Spirit. So it is, uh, we are safe, you could say, to say that what he's talking about here of the, what's being drunk in, uh, what's, what's, what is that now eternal flowing of life is the, the life of the Holy Spirit within us. This he spoke of the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were going to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So it wasn't time yet. This was still a promise. This is still, as it were, under the old covenant, anticipating the new covenant coming. This is still during the life of Jesus. Time of transition, but it's not here yet. And so he's still talking about the coming and the indwelling and the, uh, the drinking and the flowing rivers of uh, living water, that is the Holy Spirit. He's still talking about this in the future. Now, when is this promise fulfilled? This promise is fulfilled in Acts 1 and 2. Well, it's, it's fulfilled fully in, in 2, but I, I want to first start in Acts 1. Uh, in Acts 1... Uh, at this point, Christ had already been crucified, buried, uh, and risen. And now he is about to ascend to the right hand of the Father. Here, Jesus uh, is connecting the promise and anticipation of the putting in of the Holy Spirit, the... Um, the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the giving or the receiving of the Holy Spirit, he's connecting that to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here's the wording. And it says, Jesus gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So this is, this is it. This is when it's about to be fulfilled. This is the uh, inauguration of, uh, of the new covenant and the, and the fulfillment of it uh, coming to fruition in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is basically Jesus is saying, uh, I'm about to fulfill... Uh, John 7, verse 37 to 39. 
that those who believe in me from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. You're about to see that's about to happen. And he, notice, he, he, he uses the word baptize with the Holy Spirit. All right? So, the, the indwelling or the, the putting in of the Holy Spirit in Ezekiel 36, the pouring out in Ezekiel 39, Joel 2, the giving of the Holy Spirit or the receiving of the Holy Spirit that's, that's described in John 7, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit promised once, one last time in Acts 1. <clears throat> uh, now, we need to look at the event of Pentecost. I, I think we, we haven't really looked at it yet, and I was holding off until this week to do it because this is really what it's talking about here, the coming of the Holy Spirit into the life of the church and, and, the, and believers. So let's, let's look at it. Uh, Acts 2, verse 1 through 4. says, And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues like fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Again, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is this initial filling of the Holy Spirit. It is this rushing in of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be looking at the filling of the Holy Spirit specifically uh, next week. Um, this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that's described. This is what Jesus was just talking about in Acts 1. He says, um, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, and here it is. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is the coming of the Holy Spirit upon believers. That's, that's all it is. Now, this happens, and, and they're speaking in tongues, and mind you, they are actual languages, uh, and it is uh, actually understood by people around them. So they are preaching the gospel, preaching the truth of the word of God. Uh, they're through these tongues, through these languages that are gifted by the Holy Spirit, as a means of evangelism and, and for the gospel to, as it were, just go out with this sudden burst of, of, uh, of impact, you could say. Now, people were looking in on this, and they thought that uh, these people were drunk. They thought that they were crazy. That it was, you know, they'd already had a, a few too many... Uh, cocktails or whatever else that uh, for some reason this was such a an, ex, an experience such, such a thing to behold that people discounted it and said no they're drunk that's that that's they're just crazy they're either they're they're either nuts or drunk or and that's the only way to explain this and what we see uh, a little farther on in acts 2 15 to 17 peter 
is going to explain what just happened. So he's going to explain the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now this, this is where it all kind of comes together, where the Old and the New Testament come together. Peter draws from, as he's explaining what happened, what he draws from, the passage he draws from, is Joel 2, that promised outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus used the, the name baptism for. It's all the same thing. He says, for these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is the third hour of the day. It's too early. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And he quotes from Joel 2. It shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. So there it is. Pouring out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. So what Peter does is he pulls in the promise of the Old Testament, the promise of the New Covenant, uh, of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the giving of the Holy Spirit to God's people, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon God's people, uh, the uh, giving and receiving of the Holy Spirit uh, that Jesus promised in John 7. He connects all of that to this event, which Jesus called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's all talking about the same thing. Now this is important because others will say that, well, the Christian is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and then he's baptized by the Holy Spirit later on. But if you follow, if you trace this through, and if you just use Peter's logic, uh, in his sermon, it's the same thing. The initial indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon the believer at conversion is the same thing. It's the same event. Uh, indwelling and baptism are talking about two different aspects of the same event. So, what we see is the Old Testament prophets and Jesus and John the Baptist all promised that the Holy Spirit would one day be poured out on God's people or put within God's people. This is what's called the promise of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the baptism with the Holy Spirit. The promise was fulfilled at Pentecost. And it's fulfilled now when, when every Christian is a recipient of this incredible promise. It is fulfilled every time someone comes to faith. So, uh, another short, relatively short definition, another way of saying it. Another author describes the baptism of the Holy Spirit as this. Being baptized with the Holy Spirit is the distinctive blessing of the new covenant, whereby the Lord Jesus Christ, the mediator of the new covenant, gives the Holy Spirit to believers. There's that John 7 language. For the purpose of uniting them to him and incorporating them into his body, the church. We're going to look at the purpose 
a little later on. But this is another helpful definition. So there's, that's the promise anticipated, the promise made, and then the promise fulfilled. Okay? Now, let's, let's dissect this and look at the particulars. The particulars of spirit baptism. We need to uh, uh, analyze this. If we want to get a good understanding of what this is, we need to kind of take it apart, look at it aspect by aspect, verse by verse. And we'll be looking at some more detailed things here. So, first of all, you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. Baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now that's important because it's not by the Holy Spirit. It's not into the Holy Spirit. It's baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now why am I being so particular? Well, because that's the name of the point. No, uh, it's because the, 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 there are specific words in Scripture that are used for different things. So what we're going to see as we look at the... We've already seen this a little bit pop up in the verses that we've looked at, but we're going to look at some of them again, and we're going to look at some, some new ones here. When we look at verses describing or talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there are always... Well, not always, excuse me. What we see in the New Testament is there are four elements or four details of baptism. There's the subject, there's the object, there's the element with or in, and then there's a purpose. And this isn't used just of the baptism uh, with the Holy Spirit. This is used of uh, in... 1 Corinthians, uh, the baptism into Moses. Uh, we won't look at that, but we'll look at one example here that has all four. Matthew 3, verse 11. This is John the Baptist showing the contrast between his baptism and the baptism of Jesus Christ. He says, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now we'll look at the last half of that in a moment. But just to show you the subject, object, element, purpose. So the subject, the subject is I, right? I baptize you with water for repentance. Now, the subject is the one doing the baptizing. The object is the one being baptized. So who is being baptized here in, in, this, in this word, or in, in, in this sentence? It's the you, yes. So it's I, subject, baptize you, the disciples of, of John the Baptist. Now, what's the element? What is he baptizing them with or in? Water. So you have the subject, object. The element is water. 
He's dunking them in water. Now, what's the purpose? For what? For repentance. So we see that repentance, that is uh, on account of or in demonstration of. That's what's in the word for repentance. So John the Baptist is saying, uh, you want to repent of your sins before Yahweh God? Okay, I, I will baptize you in this water on account of or because of or for the purpose of demonstrating your repentance. So you see that? You have subject, object, element, purpose. Now, we have to do a little bit more work to put together all four of these elements in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But uh, it's very clear as we put together uh, the New Testament writings uh, what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, who the subject is and the object and what the element is and what's the purpose of the Spirit baptism. Um. One note is this, this, this is for free. Um, one note is that when he contrasts his baptism, when John the Baptist contrasts his baptism to the baptism of Christ, um, he's actually referring to two baptisms of Christ. So really, there, in this verse, there are three different kinds of baptism. There's a baptism of the John the Baptist of repentance, then there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then there's a baptism of fire. We, we pull those apart because in Acts 1, Jesus doesn't promise, I'm going, you're about to be baptized by the Holy Spirit and fire. He just says the Holy Spirit. Not only that, but context dictates us to take the baptism of fire as something separate. The baptism of fire here is judgment. It's judgment. Verse 10, right before it, uses fire. It talks about fire. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And then, remember we were just looking at verse 11. The verse right after, verse 12, talks about fire again. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff in unquenchable fire. So there, obviously, the baptism of fire is judgment. And we know that Christ is the judge, because uh, God has appointed that one man should judge all men, and that is Jesus Christ. So Christ is the judge, but he is also the mediator of the new covenant, and that's why he also baptizes with the Holy Spirit. All right, so back to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Acts 1, again. When Jesus told his disciples to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. He connected their experience uh, to 
the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Uh, notice the, let me go back, I'm sorry, excuse me. Uh, Matthew 3.11, uh, notice the wording. It's with, baptize with the Holy Spirit, right? And then, okay, back now in Acts 1, uh, John baptized with water. He's referring back to Matthew 5. He's referring back to that. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not fire, but with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. So, Jesus says that this event at Pentecost, this pouring out of the Holy Spirit, is, is described as being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Notice that uh, we have, let's talk about uh, subject and object and everything like that. John baptized with water, remember that? Subject, object, element, purpose. Now he says, okay, now here's my baptism. You will be baptized. So you will be baptized, that's the object, right? So the disciples are the object, and you'll be baptized with. That's the element. So just as John the, Bapti John the Baptist baptized with or in water, so we are baptized with or in the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the element. Uh, Let's go back to Matthew 3.11. Excuse me, I'm still going, I'm going back and forth. There's, there's a lot of these things interconnect, and so there's uh, elements that we have to kind of pull out one at a time. Notice, uh, if John the Baptist in his baptism, if he is a subject, and his disciples are the object, the water is the element, for repentance is the purpose, then notice here, he, that is Christ, is a subject. And uh, you, uh, the followers of Christ, we're going to see that. We're going to put that together as we go on. But it's the, those who place their faith in Christ. And notice what it is with. Notice the wording, with water, with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, again, is the element now, we don't have the purpose here yet. We'll, we'll get there. But uh, when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers at Pentecost, uh, that was, of course, in Jerusalem first, right? Now, the book of Acts is... Um, the book of Acts is uh, the chronicling of the gospel of Jesus Christ, essentially going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the remotest parts of the earth. You, you just see uh, that happen through the book of Acts. And you actually see the Holy Spirit and his working, especially his baptizing, his filling, uh, his indwelling, uh, show up at those crucial 
moments of transition, those, those, that, that, those new uh, phases of the gospel uh, reach. At each phase, we see the Holy Spirit show up in, in a special way. Now, one of those phases is uh, described for us in Acts 10, where you see some of the first Gentiles hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and then believing on Jesus Christ. What we see in Acts 10 is that the Holy Spirit came upon them. And it was just like at Pentecost. Uh, They began speaking in tongues. Now, Peter had to go to Jerusalem, go back to Jerusalem, and convince them or, or, or show them how uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not for Jews only, but for Gentiles as well. And what does he use to prove it? He uses the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts 11, verse 15 and 16 says, As I began to speak... The Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us. Who's the them and who's the us? Who's the them? The Gentiles. And who's the us? Jews. Right. Jewish believers. So he says the same thing happened. What, What happened to us happened to them. And he says, I remembered the word of the Lord. How he used to say, he connects it back to uh, the promise in Matthew 5. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He saw it again. He saw that again. It was once again, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was happening to Gentiles. And that is proof of salvation. That's important. right? Think about it. For somebody who would say that you can be saved but not baptized, right? Isn't, that's, that's, that's what's said in certain groups. You can be saved and have the Holy Spirit, but there's this baptism that is special and different and later. Peter undoes that argument right here, doesn't he? Because he... What he's doing is he's using baptism as proof of salvation. See? So if you're saved, you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. If you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, you've been saved. You see? You can't separate the two. Peter doesn't here in Acts 11. So... uh, And Peter, he uses, notice the wording too that he uses. Uh, The Holy Spirit fell upon them. He he uses the word for baptized with. So the Holy Spirit falling upon or coming upon a believer at conversion is the same thing as the uh, the believer being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Same event, different wording. Now, 
note that the uh, Old Testament promise of the Holy Spirit, the pouring forth, the indwelling, and what John and Jesus call the baptism with the Holy Spirit are all synonymous. They're all the same thing, and they were all fulfilled at Pentecost. So, this is uh, inseparably tied. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, baptism with the Holy Spirit, is inseparably tied to conversion. John Stott says it succinctly. The gift of the Holy Spirit is a universal Christian experience because it is an initial Christian experience. I like that. It is universal because it is initial. That means all Christians experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit because it happens when you become a Christian. You see? And so if it is it is an initiatory element of salvation. It, it, it is like the in, in initiation. And we treat the mode of baptism, we treat the, uh, the practice of water baptism in the church. Isn't it a kind of initiation ritual? And that's exactly what it is, Right? Uh, when you are saved, the expectation is you get baptized not, not long after. And that's, what, that's the model that we see in the New Testament, especially in Acts. You're saved, get baptized. Well, sometimes if, if there's water right there, what, what prevents us, right, it says. So the water baptism is a kind of in, initiation into uh, the, the church, you can't become a member in this church if you're not baptized, right? Because you haven't been initiated. Uh, so it is in what what that sh- what that does is it, it's a model, it's a, a shadow, it is uh, a a uh, imprint of the spiritual reality. Just as water baptism is a an initiation rite or ritual of the church so also the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an initiation into this new life. This new life of of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Do you see the connection? It's universal because it is initial. Now, we are baptized into Christ. Baptized into Christ. So we're not baptized in Christ, but into Christ. There, there is a difference, and the, word, the Greek wording is different. Uh, passages like Galatians 3, 27 and 28 says, for, you, for all of you were baptized, baptized into Christ, uh, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So every believer, all of you, notice all of you, 
Every believer is baptized into Christ, submerged into Christ, dunked into Christ. Romans 6, verse 3 to 5, I guess that's the same idea. Or do you not know that all of us who are baptized, baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. This is important because there's a connection here. There is a connection between being baptized into Christ. That's the imagery that he uses to all of these things happening, baptized into his death, buried with him, with him, through baptism into death. And then there's this commonality. As Christ, as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, so we too, so just as, so we too might walk in newness of life. So there is this connection of what happens to him happens to us. And in a word, it's in verse 5. For we have become united with him. That's the idea. That's the idea here. When you're, what's, what's produced from baptism is union. Is union. And first of all, we're, we're united to Christ. Now, this and the next point are overlapping. They're not separate. They're overlapping. You can't have one without the other. So you are baptized into Christ, and you are also baptized into the body. Baptized into the body. And this is very clear from 1 Corinthians 12, 13. This is the, the, the key verse for us this morning. Once again, for also by one Spirit, we were all baptized into, there's that word, into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. There's that drinking again that Jesus talked about, remember, in John 7. But nonetheless... Oh, so many, so, so many things here. Uh, when the believer is baptized, yes, he's baptized into Christ, but he's baptized into the body as well. And it's not two separate things because Christ is the head of his body, right? And if you think about it, if I'm baptized into Christ, if you're baptized into Christ, and if you're baptized into Christ, we're all in Christ, right? And... In that reality, there is union. And that's what he's drawing out here. We were baptized. Because we are baptized into Christ, we are baptized into one body. We have all been submerged into Christ together. And we are all there in Christ together as one body. You see? 
And that's why he says, well, now all the differences kind of fade to the background. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink of the one spirit. We have the one spirit in common, the one baptism in common because we're one body. Now this word, this word, uh, by, that's deceptive, it's the same Greek word, in all of the other passages that we've been looking at uh, in the New Testament, um, it's, it's the word, it's the Greek word en, and it's in or with. That's talking of the element. What element are we baptized in or with? It's translated here by to avoid confusion. But uh, I would say it's not the best. I understand the intent. LSB does this, NAS does this, but it's not consistent here at least. Uh, But what we see in the New Testament, uh, in Matthew 3.11, I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And fire, that's the same Greek word, en. Uh, And then later on, uh, in Acts 11, uh, or in Acts 1, where am I here? Uh, Yeah, in Acts 1, uh, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be, this is Jesus promising to the, his disciples, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now in Acts 1. Same Greek word. With is en. It's in or with the Holy Spirit. Same word, same exact word, and same word order. Uh, same word order here of en and the, and the Holy Spirit. It's the same formula, same formulation of words. It's talking about the same thing. I, I, I stress this because those that have a different view go to this verse and they say, well, see, it's by the Holy Spirit here. That's, that's, uh, that's uh, when you're first saved, but, but baptized in the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Spirit, that's different. Well, if you look at the Greek, it's the same. Same exact wording. It's just translators choose to translate it differently. So it's not, it's not a helpful, not a strong argument at all. Now, notice here. This baptism is a past tense event. right? Paul is writing to Corinthians, to believers in Corinth. We were, right? That's past tense. And he says it across the board. We were all. So there's no one Christian there that, well, you haven't gotten that baptism of the Holy Spirit. You still got to seek it. You haven't surrendered fully yet. That doesn't exist. He says we were all baptized. It happened Already in the past to us all. If you're part of the we, you're part of the all. Uh, If you're a Christian, you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And 
not only this, it's, uh, it's, it's not something just for the elite, right? It's not just for the haves and then the rest of, you know, your lesser Christian, the, the class A Christians, uh, you know, they don't have the Holy Spirit yet. They haven't been baptized yet. No, he, he includes we, we're all. He includes himself in that. Just as I've been baptized, you've been baptized. So the same baptism of the Holy Spirit that Paul, the, the Apostle Paul received, it's the same baptism that you receive, Christian. And that, that's stunning, isn't it? So this, what this indicates is that spirit baptism happens at conversion and has nothing to do with spiritual maturity. Now, it's used here metaphorically to say that we are baptized into one body into the body of Christ. It's the corporate body of believers. Uh, so we are baptized, and the res- one of the results and purposes of baptism is for us to be united to, to one another. Just as you have been baptized into Christ, you've been baptized into the body of Christ. So as united as you are to Christ, so you are united to your fellow believer your fellow brother or sister, no matter how much they bug you, right? It's too bad. You're united just as much. You can't, you can't get rid of me. <laughs> One interesting side note um, is that uh, if you think about all of these passages that we've looked at, and uh, there's other passages that talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the Gospels, but it's just repetition of was in Matthew. Yeah, yeah. A question or a thought? How do we present Acts 19? Verses 1, uh, believe, yeah, it's a good question. What do we do with Acts 19? All right, well, you asked for it, brother. So we got to turn there. Um, So uh, Acts 19, now it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper regions and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? And they said to him, no, we have not heard if the Holy Spirit is being received. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. And now there were in all about 12 men. So this is another uh, one of those... um, new phases of the gospel where it's, where it's reaching even further now. It's, this is a group of, of, of uh, these are people who have, are disciples of John the Baptist, but not followers of Jesus Christ. Because he asked them, what were you baptized into? You were baptized, he's talking about water baptism. 
And they said, into John's baptism. Oh, well, you haven't been baptized as a Christian yet. No. Ah, okay. Well then, let me explain to you and, and connect the dots. And he does it just very briefly in verse 4. John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who is coming after him, that is in Jesus. So he connects the repentance and, and what John has been talking about. They're, they're obviously devout followers of John the Baptist, and they didn't, but they didn't know that Jesus had come yet. And so at this point, they are told that the Messiah has come, and they place their faith in him, and they're saved at this point. And upon being saved, they're baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. Question or thought? Any? Does that help? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they'll go to this verse and say, well, you see, these were disciples, but they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit, or they didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. Well, they were disciples of John the Baptist, not of Christ. And in hearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, then they believed. And, uh, and then they were baptized again in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now there's this new identity uh, in verse 5. And, uh, to, and to, uh, as it were, give the stamp of approval or, or validation of this new phase of the gospel going out, uh, Paul lays his hands on them and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They're initiated into the body of Christ. Uh, what's important to think about when, yes? Yes. Yes. Yeah. They would, are you saying, uh, so you're saying that uh, since what happened here is they, when they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, they began speaking in tongues. Mm-hmm. Right. So could they use that as an argument for their point of view? They could, but it's but it's um, it's, it's it's assuming too much and it's reading in what's not there. What's being done? Remember, this is what happened in Acts ten, also with the Gentile uh, God fears in Acts ten. Uh, the coming upon of the Holy Spirit and speaking with tongues—that's all connecting back to Pentecost. It's all connecting back to that main event. So it has to have that in common in order for there to be a clear connection. Because how do you know if you were baptized with the Holy Spirit at this point? You know, you don't, your skin color doesn't change. You don't get white hair. You don't, you don't have a glow, right? What's the evidence? The evidence is the speaking in tongues. And connected with the speaking in tongues is the fact that it is a early church New Testament phenomenon is for the purpose, multiple purposes, but two main ones. One is uh, the advancement of the gospel to other people groups. And the second that we don't pay attention much to is that it's a sign of judgment upon Israel, upon Jews. Remember in Joel 2, that's the anticipation. Joel 2 is a judgment passage. And so the promising of the Holy Spirit is 
promise of judgment. Because remember, he says, I'm going to do this on all flesh, on all peoples. Because, why? Because my people have rejected me. I'm, I'm just going to go to the nations now. So it's, it's, it's a mark of judgment. And so it's, it's bringing that judgment element into this as well. To say, see, it's going out further and further into the nations. Judgment, judgment. God has left behind Israel. And, and it's all to, to declare to Israel, you're wrong, you're wrong. You need to repent. You need to repent and believe in Christ. Uh, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, tongues is not a mark of spiritual maturity or some new level of Christianity. It's a mark of uh, the early uh, New Testament church. It's a mark of uh, judgment to Israel. And uh, it fades away after the, the leaving of the apostles. It's a miraculous sign uh, that validates the, the message and the work of the apostles. So, does that answer <laughs> the question? Probably it's a little too much. Um, all right. I'll, I'll give you three purposes for baptism, and I'll let you go. I, uh, we're, we're a little past, but we got started a little late. So, the purpose of, ba- of spirit baptism, purpose of spirit baptism the primary one is unity. Unity. That's the most explicit purpose of spirit baptism. The problem with the Pentecostal charismatic view of spirit baptism is that it divides the body of Christ. I'm reading from one author. The implication is that within the church, there are the haves and the have-nots. There are the Christians who have it and those who don't. Churches that have it and churches that don't. This effectively divides the body of Christ. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For also by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or freed, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. So the purpose of Spirit baptism is unity. Is unity, not division. And what's, what's, uh, what's disturbing is that this Doctrine that is supposed to be a unifying kind of doctrine is used to separate the haves and the have-nots within the church. That's disunity. Uh, we ought not to think of one another in that way. We all have the Holy Spirit, and we all have him in common. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We're uh, intimately and eternally united together. Secondly, uh, the second purpose. These are lesser, these are inferred purposes. Uh, but uh, the, the Assemblies of God doctrinal statement says, with the baptism in the Holy Spirit come such experiences as, so here's what you, you get when you, when, you're, when you get this next level. In overflowing fullness of the Spirit, a deepened reverence for God, an intensified concentration to God and dedication to His work, and a more active love for Christ, His Word, and the lost. I mean, who doesn't want those things, right? But the reality is, the Bible says, 
What happens at the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, even to the end of the earth. That happens at conversion. So at conversion, you are endowed with power, the power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness of Christ. doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for two decades or two minutes. You have the power of the Holy Spirit of God to proclaim the gospel of Christ. Third, lastly, life. Life. This is, this is delightful. The last purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is this life. Any unbiblical two-phase sanctification, one author writes, such as you, you get saved, but then you need a second blessing, a crisis experience that really turns it all on, that creates chaos in the church. Those who think they don't have it put all the blame on not having this experience. So they are misdiagnosing their spiritual problems. They're having struggles with sin. They're waning in their love for Christ. Uh, they're, 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 they're not devoted to the Lord in the way that they know they ought to be. Well, under this, this, this false teaching of the second blessing or this later baptism of the Holy Spirit, you can just say, well, I haven't been baptized with the Holy Spirit yet. It's not really my fault. What do you expect of me? I'm in phase A of the Christian life. I haven't reached that next level yet. Of course I'm not going to love. Of course I'm going to backslide all the time. So you see, it's a misdiagnosing of what's really happening, the spiritual problems. But then those who think that they do have, that have had this experience and do have the baptism of the Holy Spirit are, in, are even in worse shape, this author says. They are told that they have a new power and a new fire. But the truth is, they have what every Christian has. But they still struggle with sin and apathy like we all do. But they can't show it, right? Because they had that experience. And so what happens? In public, they, they tend to fake it with a hyper-spiritual language and, and turbocharged worship, right? you got to put on this front. But in their hearts, they know that their personal lives are a mess. So they can become spiritual schizophrenics, this author says. It's, it's, it's a very sad state. But the Bible says... In John 7, on the last day of the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, that, that's, that's the Christian, right? If you believe in Christ, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. You have the abundant life, Christian. If you believe in him, you have an unending, bottomless, inexhaustible river of living water within you. What is that? It's the Holy Spirit, verse 39. 
This he spoke of the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were, not, were going to receive, for the Spirit was not given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So all who believe receive. What do you receive? The Holy Spirit. What is he described as? This thirst-quenching river of living water. See? You don't need anything else, Christian. You have everything within you because you have the Spirit within you. You don't need to go searching for another experience, for a deeper level, for a spiritual breakthrough. You need to get into the Word. You need to get your eyes back on Christ. You need to submit yourself to the Word of God and to the Holy Spirit. And you need to just draw and drink in deeply by the Holy Spirit, drink in deeply the glory of Christ. This is what is available to every Christian. Praise the Lord that there's no haves and have-nots, right? Praise the Lord. This is, isn't God generous? Isn't he so kind? You don't have to work this up. You don't have to, to earn this and, and, and get to a second level or pay enough or whatever. It's all yours, Right now, Christian. God is good, isn't he? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your generosity to us. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that we would not quench him. We would not stifle his witness in our hearts. That we would not uh, rebel against his word as he testifies to our conscience. Uh, That we would obey his guiding in our life through the scriptures. Oh, Lord, help us to, uh, to uh, rightly draw from this river that is within us, to take advantage, to make the most of this reality. Oh, help us, Lord, to live in these realities. May they not just be doctrines that we learn, but, but realities that we live out the rest of this week. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.